and welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corcor Foundation for Mental Health. I'm Terry, the creator and co-host of this podcast. I've lived with depression most of my life, and I know how easy it can be to feel all alone in the experience. I'm not alone, and you aren't either. And I'm Dr. Anita Sands, a licensed clinical psychologist with a number of my own diagnoses, all of which bring a certain amount of anxiety and depression along with them. There is great power in shared experiences. We share our own as we engage in intimate and candid conversations with our weekly guests, exploring different perspectives on and experiences with depression. We keep it real because depression is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. Hello, Anita. Hi, Terry. You know how at the end of many of our episodes, we say that there's a recorder on our website where you can leave comments or suggestions for future episodes? Well, you're about to hear from Margaret, a listener who took us up on our offer. She not only shared about her life and loneliness, but asked if we could connect with someone else in a similar situation a person who has worked out some of the hurdles and challenges of partnering and parenting with someone with depression and other mental health challenges. After talking with Margaret for this episode, we were able to connect with just such a person. So next week, we'll tap into Gwen's lived experience and the ground rules and techniques that she and her husband and children follow to make living with mood disorders a little more manageable and functional for everyone in the family. And as background, Margaret has been with her husband for more than 20 years. They have a six-year-old child together. About a year ago, after his symptoms worsened, he was diagnosed with treatment-resistant depression, anxiety, and executive function struggles. She says he takes meds that seem to be helping, and they have mental health support, including therapists and a psychiatrist. But it's still really hard, and she often feels very lonely and unsupported. It's a story that many of you will relate to, because depression and other mood disorders affect more than just the person diagnosed. So here now is Margaret giving her voice to depression. Margaret is looking for practical advice. What works? What doesn't? How do you partner with someone whose depression can make them unavailable? What have you figured out that could shine a little light on the dark, lonely path to make it even a little bit easier to walk? Here's how Margaret asked for that in her original outreach recorded on our website, as we just mentioned. We play it, in part, with her permission. Uh, It's really hard living with uh, someone with depression, Um, and I've gotten so much insight from your podcast and all of the people who have given their voice to depression and that helps me to um so much has helped me to better understand this illness and my husband when he received his diagnosis it was so great to have a name and to know that there was an illness and not that it was just uh, a person being difficult and yet it is so hard And I'm just curious uh, if you've ever talked with anyone either who has depression and is in a long-term 
committed relationship and with children. I know there are, there's things that I, I need a partner to uh, maintain a home and share parenting. And um, there have to be other people like they're out there in similar situations. And it would be really great to learn um, to hear voices and words of wisdom. Words of wisdom. How's that for a nice script flip? Realizing that the parts of our lives we probably seldom discuss in any real detail and may even hide contain lessons that could prevent someone struggling in a similar way from having to figure it all out by themselves. And man, that depression, when it's rearing its head, uh, it is um, it is just so very, very hard. Um, yeah, if there's anyone out there that... Uh, can give advice on what to do when you're trying to do the things that need to be done or that you want to do with your spouse, life partner, person that you've chosen, and the depression is taking control and that the response is just defense and pushing away. Uh, It'd be great to learn from others. It's interesting because when we hear or say, if you're struggling, reach out, I think most of us think of the person with depression, but everybody directly affected also needs support at times. Right. I thought that I sort of knew about depression, but um, there's so much to learn because a lot of the things that I kind of, I guess just like a lay person thought of depression, I'm like, they don't really match what... I'm experiencing with this person that I love and I live with. And obviously each person's experience is different. And I guess I was compelled to reach out because I've listened to it and it's like friends. I, I no. And it's been so helpful, but I finally seeing after uh, so many months of listening and then all of the support that my husband and I are getting um, individually and then each of us um, and then us together Uh, it's still just so hard. And um, I love how um, I can't, I probably won't get the words exactly right, but how there is hope um, and the depression makes you not want to think that there is. Mm -hmm. Um, And just seeing like, you know, as I'm driving in the car listening, I'm like, there are there other, there have to be other people like me that are living with someone and that are by the nature of our relationship needing to be dependent upon that person. Like I've heard some episodes of, um, you know, where people talk about having a spouse or both of them are there. Um, But I haven't heard anyone that sounds like me. Margaret says the stories she's heard here have given her empathy and a better understanding of her partner's experience. But we're hoping to learn specifics. How do you do it? How do you run a household, raise children, and make life decisions big and small with someone struggling with a mood disorder? How do you communicate without making things worse? And how do you address frustrations like this? I find myself in the moment of just like life is happening and time feels tight. And I'm like, okay, we have tools. But then I'm like, well, he's not using his tools. Not, and I understand not because he's being mean or, but then that's the illness. Mm -hmm. And like, what, you know, what, what do I do? What would you hope? to hear what would be helpful. I don't, I, that's where I'm, I'm really struggling. I don't, I don't know. Um, 
maybe even just uh, just how hard it is and that that there's not like something that can fix it. And I guess I've never heard a, uh, something from like a, a spouse with a young child, um, how, uh, how to get through those really hard moments um, when uh, I'm just desperate for a partner. And I can understand if I pull back that it's an illness and I shouldn't be taking it personally. But it's just, it's just so hard and so lonely. Mm-hmm. When you talked about hope, I have learned and I have experienced that depression tells us that there's kind of no reason to hope that it's never going to change. I have lived on multiple occasions with someone with a, a serious mental health condition. And I know that I experienced as a caregiver a similar loss of hope, right? Because you just sort of look at the situation and you think like, is this, is this my life forever? And I don't know that there's an understanding of how it like pervades the air in the house. You nail on the head. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and I think part of it that's, of, you know, my, you know, our situation here that's so hard is that, you know, I know I read things that I'm the caregiver and, um, in some ways, if I felt like I had a role, uh, like my husband got a cold recently and it was actually lovely. It felt like old times. Like he was just like sick in bed and I brought him tea and vitamins and herbs. And like, it was clear of what I could do. He wanted to receive that. And, and uh, with the depression, it's, it's not always clear. Like there's a pushing away from him. And so it's not clear what I can be doing. I don't feel like a caregiver. Because what kind of care can you give someone who isolates, pushes you away, and likely doesn't believe that anything you could do would help? Because depression's telling them nothing will help, and they'll always feel the way they do. It is so hard on both ends. This is a part of him. Um, and it's not that I'm like, okay, we have to make the depression go away, but to find ways that he can, that he can engage in the varied responsibilities and aspects of his life. Even with a compassionate understanding of the illness, we can still long for lightness, shared responsibilities, and a sense of true connection. And things between us, like there would be periods of conflict or, you know, things not working well between us, but then we'd come back together and we'd click and it would feel, oh, okay, there it is. That's that invisible thing that you can't see. Um, But when you're in it, you're like, oh yeah. Like I always think, you know, I see two people walking down the sidewalk and I never know, are they two people that just met at a bus stop or are they soulmates? Um, But those two people know what their connection is. Um, But it's, it was, it has, it became and is still longer and longer in between when we get those points of connection. Margaret says their family and friends, even the close ones, don't really understand the situation or check in to see how either of them are doing. Not to say that they may be inside, you know, just don't know what to say. 
yeah, the, the support is not there, which, you know, there's, I mean, and I know that there's, you know, stigma and the only way that that's going to change is people to talk about it more. We are not taught to have uncomfortable conversations. In fact, I think most of us are probably taught implicitly or explicitly to avoid them. But if you had the power to make your inner circle, at least, understand some core realities about what it's like to have a husband, to have a partner with depression, to try to raise a child with that partner, and to feel all the feels that you have, caring and wanting him not to hurt, and hurting yourself, and being afraid how this might impact your child and all of it, what do you most wish they understood? I wish they understood how lonely and hard it was. I wish they'd pick up the phone and call. I wish they'd ask. Uh, and I guess, you know, the whole casserole, if it was a different illness. Um, I, ha- I had cancer a bunch of years ago. And so I know what that support was like. And... Uh, and I know the way that we communicated with our uh, our friends and family and how that circle grew. It's so much harder dealing with something that, you know, there's not like, okay, well, on surgery, we're going to have a surgery on this date and then this procedure is going to happen on this date. Um, but yeah, if people understood like like how lonely it is and how, how it affects everything. I mean, oh my God, everything. Like... Uh, you know, there's there's nothing in this house that it, it, it hasn't touched. And, 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 and I don't mean that it's like, oh, we have to do something because he's broken. But he needs support because it's, he's not able to thrive in his best self. Margaret says in the decades of their relationship, they've weathered a lot of life together, creating new normals, like when they became parents. She'd like to be able to manage this mental health journey as a team, too. And that's something that I'd like to be able to do with him. And that's where it's like so hard because the nature of the illness is for him that we're not working together most of the time, that there's not an interest in let's figure out how do how do we support each other in what what our needs are right now. Okay, so your needs right now. What would you like to say in closing to anybody who might be listening, who might have insight into your experience because they themselves are in similar situations or they know someone who is, or they know of an organization or foundation or something that might be able to help? I'd love to know suggestions that people have for essentially a single parent that has very little free time. Your social network is has gotten smaller um, and this is so hard. This is kind of like, uh, I feel like, uh, like when my husband and I are talking slash arguing and it's like, what do you want from me? And it's like, I want that thing that's like, I can't give myself. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I've learned enough that there's not like, just like a solution that it's learning how to, get through each moment and trying to do that in a way that you can be proud of. Uh, And so I'd love to hear of things that other people think that, or that help them get through those little moments when you can't be in a meeting or with a group and it's just 
lonely and hard. Um, I wish I could say something that feels really eloquent. There's uh, no need. This is not an eloquent situation. Yeah. Yeah. You just want help. Yeah. I'll try to get it. I loved that comment that she made there where she said, I want that thing I can't give myself, mm-hmm. and, which I actually did think was eloquent because, yeah. you know, if, if we can do it ourselves, if we can give it to ourselves, if we can pay somebody to do it, you know, all those kinds of things. But there are those mm-hmm. intimacies when you're partnering with somebody that you can't give yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think it's so important, you know, for, for Margaret to to be validated at how isolating and lonely and scary an experience it is when you are trying to keep a household running and parenting and, you know, maybe work responsibilities and all of the things that are hard enough for for anybody to do. And then to be worried about your partner, for your partner not to be able to or know how to step up and, and help, you know, to, to get those things done. I think it's a really, really tough situation to be in. And I'm really glad that Margaret was willing to share what that's like for her. I think many people are going to relate to that. I'm sure you've encountered this in your therapy. But when you're trying to mm-hmm. run a household and somebody is saying, like, you know, get away from me, leave me alone, how do you do that? What I, what I would normally say in a situation like that is when we know that it's an expression of the depression, we know that that, that angry, irritable pushing away, saying, leave me alone. Um, when we know that that's from depression, it's kind of like we we would handle it differently than if we felt like the person was like really, truly angry about some something mm-hmm. that had just happened, you know, like more of like a, a response. And in that, in that case, when we know that a person is acting that way out of depression, we would want to go back and think about, well, what would I do under any circumstances if I knew somebody was really depressed? So we want to give people some space when they're angry. Yes. But depression is sort of controlling the person in a way by isolating them because they're using their anger to withdraw and push people away. So we kind of don't want depression to win. Mm -hmm. We don't, we don't want, we maybe want to give a little bit of time for somebody to, you know, to have to themselves if they're saying, just leave me alone. But I don't think we just go with that. I, I think we have to recognize that that's depression saying, leave me alone. That's probably not the person saying, leave me alone. And it's probably really good to do this ahead of time to say, you know, when you get really depressed and you say, just leave me alone, I can be okay with that, but for 15 minutes, half an hour. And then I'm going to become anxious. I'm going to be worried about you and, and giving, giving you so much time alone when I know that you're feeling really badly and that's what's causing it. So when you say that, this is what I'm going to do. And I'll even tell you, fine, I'll check back with you in 15 minutes. I'll check back with you in half an hour so that you know I'm doing what we mm-hmm. agreed on here. And then I'll come in and then I hope that we can talk or we can figure out a solution to if there's something that I need from you. Um, we want to be respectful of the person, but we don't need to be respectful of mm-hmm. depression. We don't need to respect depression. Um, depression doesn't care. Depression doesn't care about anybody. So we don't want to respect when it, when we really do think it's depression pushing people away, you know, but 
just because nobody wants to deal with a, um, a, an intimate partner situation where it could escalate into violence um, or, you know, that person, you know, losing control because they're saying get away and then we keep being in their face. I think a little bit of time and then being able to um, to come back because you've agreed mm-hmm. or at least you've said this is what mm-hmm. I will do when. You know, if you do this, I will do that. If you ask for this, I will do this. So it's not like you're making it on the fly. You've discussed it. You've planned it. The person knows that. And my guess is most people, when they're depressed and they say, leave me alone, they don't really want to be left alone. They they just don't know what else really to do in the situation. They're overwhelmed by the depression as well. So we don't want to let the depression overwhelm us as caring friends, family members, partners, we want to respect the relationship and keep mm-hmm. nurturing that, keep allowing that to be strong because the stronger that we can maintain connections and let somebody know that we love them, we value them, even when the depression's really bad, that's better than right. just going, okay, It's hard fine. not to take it personally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's hard. It's reminding yeah. me of like <laughs> the RAP plan, the wellness recovery action plan, you know, having these things decided before. It's like, okay, you go in your room and you slam the door. Mm-hmm. Here's what I'm going to do, you know, and, and yes. to talk about those things on the front end mm-hmm. when you're both right. calm mm-hmm. and more well, uh, that then you yes. have a plan and it's like, okay, so it's been a half an hour and I'm back. Yeah. Um, the kids still need to get to school. I still need dinner. You know mm-hmm. what? I not I still need dinner. Like, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I didn't mean yeah. it like that. But I mean, <laughs> we still need to have something to eat. And, you know, no. it might be peanut butter sandwiches tonight, but we need to have something to eat. Um, whatever it might be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's helpful, and I appreciate yeah. you sharing what you mm-hmm. have learned from all, your many clients over the years, over the decades, um, and from your training, because most of us are, you yeah. know, just doing it alone because n- nobody talks about it, you know, so we don't even know if some mm-hmm. of our friends who we might be able to have this conversation with are right. perhaps encountering the same or similar situations, and we could help each other out. So it's this is one of those boxes that's mm-hmm. good to open and let some light in and, and yeah. some air so that it can breathe. Yeah. Again, that's what I'm thinking is we, we plan this out ahead and Yes, that's the wellness recovery action plan in in motion. So I'm so mm-hmm. glad that you said that. And maybe we link to that, um, you know, for this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, we either link to that podcast or we link to the, yep. remember the yep. whole we can. like template that we gave for and the And if we for put the wrap. depression or, you know, any mood disorder into the category of a medical illness, mm-hmm. you know, it's preparing for its yes. symptoms rearing their ugly head. You know, we might have to carry mm-hmm. an EpiPen mm-hmm. because we know we might need it. Yes. And, yeah. you know, it's that, that same preparation. It's putting it in the same category and not having it be some big, ugly, secret thing mm-hmm. that it's so easy for it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, nobody wants to be depressed under any circumstances, but... To still feel like your family cares about you and wants you in whatever capacity that you can be there in that moment just is a little bit better, feels a little bit, you know, like I have some value than if you're not a part of anything, Mm -hmm. you're isolating again in that darkness. So, yeah, meeting somebody where they're at and with whatever they can do. And really, if the only thing they can do is just, you know, sit while other people are doing things, but you're including them and and you want them to know that they're that they're wanted and needed and valued that's really really helpful so doesn't it, that all or nothing thing we have to we have to 
get rid of that. We go with what's, like you said, what's the smallest step of what I can do? What can you do? We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate and reflect on your own experience with depression, or better understand how to support someone else who is struggling. If this episode has been of comfort or value to you, know that there are hundreds of others like it in our archive, which you can easily find at our website, givingvoicetodepression.com. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up, even if it's hard. If someone else is struggling, take the time to listen.